Hello and welcome to Regenerative Rising's podcast, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. I am your host, Nisha Mary Paulos, and with me today is Paloma Lopez, CEO and co-founder of Future Fit Foods. Paloma is such an inspiring and mission-driven leader with, an, with extensive experience across the food sector. Her work is deeply informed by her new learnings from the field and her old ones, her corporate experience, and her own personal journey, which traverses family values, entrepreneurship, cultural exchanges, and a close relationship with nature. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, Paloma. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, ever since we first met, I was really so like taken by your journey and uh, maybe a good start point would be to say, to like talk a little bit about the path that brought you to this point in space and time where you're leading this organization, which is so earth centric. Um, and uh, so could you share a little bit about the journey that led you to the creation of uh, Future Fit Foods? And maybe what are some of the most inspiring moments um, that you hold dear when you look back? Yes. Well, thanks for asking that question. It's always fun to kind of go back in in your personal history and think about what brought you to the point you're in right now. Um, I grew up on the coast of Spain and I had a very close connection to food growing up. I used to forage wild asparagus with my sister. Um, I would uh, help some of my family members pick up almonds. Um, we always had fruit trees and um, it was very common for me to just grab food essentially from uh, from the garden. And so, you know, for me, food was always part of family affairs. Um, uh, there was fresh cooking happening every day at home and always, uh, food was at the center, uh, of our family life and our friends' life. Um, and it's always been a very humanizing aspect of, of, uh, my life. Uh, and it is a big point, uh, today, even with Future Fit Foods and what we're trying to do here, uh, to remind people that uh, food is so much more than just physical substance. Um, there is so much to food and how it can bring people together. Um, like I said, I, I grew up um, in Spain, uh, but my work uh, in the food industry uh, took me to many different countries um, where I was able to spend about 20 years working in the food space. I worked for large companies like Kellogg's, um, in uh, both sustainability, product innovation, brand management. Uh, I had the opportunity to spur ahead the first um, European sustainable agriculture program for the Kellogg company called Origins, which later we become a global program and uh, today has worked with over 400,000 farmers. That gave me the opportunity to spend time, uh, boots on the ground with farmers, and become much more um, uh, aware of uh, what is happening on in the farms and in farmers' lives, uh, but also some of the challenges that both farmers and farms and the environment um, are facing with larger scale uh, type of farming. In uh, 2019, um, I decided to uh, move into a different space of entrepreneurship. I had spent many years working in um, corporate 
uh, in food and had realized that um, there was a lot of great, there is a lot of great work happening in in, uh, large food companies. Um, But we do have to realize that large food companies, many of them have a a history and they've been around for many decades, uh, some of them even a century or more. And uh, they were designed for a type of business and a business model for what type of convenience the world needed um, over the last few decades. I think the challenges that we're facing today and into the future related to human health, planetary health, uh, demand a new way of designing our food system. And that was a big aha moment for me when I realized that I can stay where I am and continue to do more incremental good, or I can uh, try to apply some of the learnings to how do we reimagine the future of our food systems in, in ways we're really designing for you know, all the goodness that can and should come from our food systems. Um, so I started Future Fit Foods in 2020, uh, right at the start of the pandemic. Um, that was kind of um, different from what I had planned, uh, but it provided also um, a lot of mental clarity um, in terms of even more so what we needed to do. I think we we had a lot of more time and space during that year to really think about what really um human and planetary health look like into the future. So it actually, the timing was, I think, good. Um, We launched a a line of soups in 2021, and we chose to launch with soups because soups were um, really became very popular. There's a little little story to soups and why we started with soups. Um, but soups were in the 1800s became a very popular food in Paris, in France. Um, people would go to eating places. They call them, you know, essentially they were uh, eating places where they would go and restore, to restore their health. And the foods that they could find there were both broths and soups. Um, so it was kind of the original food for restoring your health. Uh, this is back in the 1800s in French uh, to restore is to restaurer, which is kind of the, um, the root uh, word for restaurant today. But if you fast forward 200 years and you go into the aisles of the supermarkets and you look at soups, um, they're not necessarily the most regenerative or the most restoring food <laughs> in the store. So we have moved away from the origins of what that food was intended to do for people. And that's why we were so keen to play a role in the soup space. Um, we actually had soups in the marketplace for 18 months. And after 18 months, we looked at what we had created and we decided that there was an even bigger opportunity to simplify um, and create a line of products that were potentially more inclusive and also more inclusive, inclusive of regenerative agriculture in regenerative organics, and we can speak to that uh, as well. But as you can see, you know, all the way back to kind of my childhood um, story of uh, feeling very close to food and what it meant for me, uh, spending so many years working deep in the industry, um, and then understanding that we had a big design challenge and that we need more people who are architecting for the future. Um, that the world needs right now. And so that means thinking a little bit outside of the box. And sometimes you have to step outside of the boxes that you've been in in the past to be able to think clearly. 
Yeah, that's that's so profound. I just uh, it's really inspiring that it's your own relationship with food and nature, which is like from your childhood, um, knowing how to forage, knowing knowing what's healthy for you, um, having inspired this whole journey. Uh, and uh, that that is that is really interesting that it's uh, that the word the, the importance of the word restore uh, in this whole conversation in this larger conversation about the food system about planetary health like the idea of restore and um, you know it really begins with the self as well um, so thanks for sharing that and um, what I really I you know you speak of the, the the systems that really kind of are the ethos of this of your company, and um, uh, you speak you know, the organization really works with humanizing the system and about with working with circular economies. Um, and uh, I'm a little curious as to that you know the system is so global right now, and um, everything that we have access to has come from different parts of the world. It's really touched the lives of thousands of people and so many, so many ecosystems are involved at, uh, in, into a particular product, whatever it may be, right? So, um, how in, so this, when you're talking about humanizing the system, um, what does that really entail and how does, and the other, you know, ways of uh, humanizing the system that we may not have thought of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'd like to just share quickly a little experience I had uh, when I left the corporate, uh, my corporate um, job um, in 2019, I, um, I went actually on a uh, almost year long trip um, around many different countries. And the whole idea of that trip was to create space and research and better understand people's connection with food across different cultures to get a little bit deeper into this idea of humanizing foods. Um, we spent a lot of time, my partner and I traveled through many countries in the southern part of Africa, so Malawi, Mozambique. Um, uh, we were in Botswana and South Africa, and uh, but also in some of the um, some of the stands, Georgia, Armenia, Mongolia, very different types of countries. Uh, but the one common denominator of all these um, places that we visited, and all the food markets that we visited, and all the conversations we had with farmers, were that these are it, it becomes so much more tangible that food is so centric to humans' joy um, and to what bond us together. Um, the pride of people talking about their foods in those markets, the, the smiles, the, just the, um, the level of human connection that came through those shared meals um, and those shared moments uh, is something that we have lost uh, in many ways in our Western cultures. And it's a huge loss. It's not something we can put a price to necessarily, but we all understand the value of joy. We all understand the value of togetherness and feeling connected. 
uh, and and those special moments with people we love. And food has always been centric. Um, so by providing so much convenience to people around food, we've we've in some ways taken away so much of that humanity. It's not that there's anything wrong with convenience. We all need some shortcuts to <laughs> to be able to do everything that our our modern lifestyle demands of us. Uh, but that being said, I think there's an opportunity to reimagine convenience into the future and uh, and without compromising so much on the humanity. And what I mean by this is we have come to a place in our food system where everything has become so impersonal. Um, we buy things that are packaged that look the same, whether you're in New York or in um uh, you know, Baja California, Mexico, or even in India. I mean, anywhere you are, you find so many foods that seem the same. Um, and you don't necessarily have a connection with these foods. We you, you eat them, they're functional, they're tasty, and you move on. Um, I think the opportunity we have moving forward is to reimagine convenience where we think a little bit farther into um, the real people behind that value chain, uh, but also creating more regional and local food systems. And we can speak to that. I think there's a real opportunity to, um, through distributed um, technology, to dismantle a little bit the central, uh, the idea of centralize everything. The idea of centralized food making that makes then everything so impersonal. Um, historically, when we had connections to our community, when the food was coming from our community, when food was made in our community, um, we had that human experience. Uh, and we have lost a lot of it because foods are made somewhere else and they're just packaged and they're just functional products, um, almost like anything else that you would find in your in your closet, <laughs> something mm -hmm. functional yeah. that serves a purpose and that's it. So I think the, the idea of rehumanizing of your future fit foods, and it's not easy. I mean, let's just say that the ideas that I'm sharing with you right now are not easy to implement because we are part of a food system that is already set its ways of how things are done and the importance of working out of scale. And if you don't have a scale, the economics of food are very challenging. And so there's a lot of obstacles to this idea of rehumanizing our food systems. I think some of the simpler steps all companies can take is being more um, grateful for the people in our value chains, um, building relationships and sharing the stories and recognizing their work and paying fairly for their work. Yeah, that's a very, um, you know, it's something that has been like on my mind as well, like the importance of community in the food system, right? Like, and that it's not just food as an experience of eating, which is certainly historically has been a big aspect of community and community gatherings and festivals. And, and regardless of where we're from, I think everybody can relate to the idea of food being a way of fellowship and 
being part of the community and this and but you know that also extends to the idea of food growing being a part of community like growing food is also a community affair um and it's when you actually think about it there's a reason for it as well because if your neighbor is doing something poisonous uh, on the land that will affect the region right so the idea of collaborating with each other at that community level and working with each other to help each other and you know produce uh, and many of the earlier ancient food systems really involved people giving away all of their uh, excess foods to each other and that's kind of the way a food system evolved at a local level and it's a very interesting topic on seeing on how do we integrate that at this level and as you said like the system is pretty rigged right now and we're trying to uh find our way out of it in in this in in terms of scale in terms of industrialization and machine dependency and all of that we're trying to find our way out of it but um i feel like that's a very um it's something that everybody can connect to the importance of community uh and how can we use that as maybe the sort of intervention point to enter uh into this sort of phase of uh uh transformation um and you know what i'm also well the the other very interesting aspect of this is to think of like where we all know in many ways local systems like local ecosystems local food systems play a big role if we're talking about balance of the earth right but then it is a global system and that's and we're we're in this place where we can't snap our fingers and just like change things there has to be a transition there has to be um you know we're also talking about a very very complexly interdependent system so uh what i i keep thinking of like what how do we balance that like how do we create local systems but then there's also the larger global systems but how do we go and um, i think you'd be this it's a great you're a great person to have this conversation with because you've worked at the grassroots you have so much like hands on experience from the field and then you also have led like multinational corporations in the sustainability side of it and mm-hmm. it's a um it's a very interesting way of uh thinking of how do we link the two when things are global but then you also need it to be local uh how, how that balance is so important and i just want to just hear your thoughts on that yeah yeah i i don't think there's you know one solution that will serve everyone into the future when i was traveling through namibia i realized wow you know it would be so challenging um if all you're eating is plant based in namibia because you know i couldn't find that many uh fresh vegetables and so you've got to be realistic of where you are in the world and i think with the unfortunate climate crisis that is upon us and on us right now um you know there are realities in terms of what can grow in certain parts of the world and so we i don't think it's a matter of restricting ourselves to what we can forage or grow locally um i think it's a matter of thinking through what makes the most sense in its setting that's where the local and regional food systems come into play right it's not one size fits all and you know your food may come from anywhere in the world well maybe maybe there are some foods that you know need to travel a little bit farther like bananas because 
they're great foods. Um, but when you do that, that you still you can still create a very ethical value chain, and you can still you know respect and be graceful. Um, and grateful to the people in that value chain, right? So you can still humanize that value chain, even if they're farther away. You can recognize, you know, that they have something that is traveling to you um, and, and recognize them with fair pay and other ways in which we can humanize our food systems. Uh, that being said, there are a lot of other things that I think we can do in the local food systems. We know over the last couple decades, um, farmers markets are like a huge boom in the US. I mean, farmers markets are nothing more than what we've always had everywhere else and what we had here in the US before too, right? It's just they went away and then they're coming back. And now people love going to farmers markets. They understand the benefit of having that conversation with a farmer and knowing that something comes from nearby and it tastes different than something you would just buy packets in the store. So I think... Um, that is just an indication that there is definitely a lot of appetite for more foods, local food solutions. And if there was more choice, people would actually opt into more local, I guarantee you. Um, the, but the challenge is there isn't really a great way right now or great models displaying what local convenience can look like outside of the restaurant scene, which is different, right? Restaurant is service. And um, not everyone can eat out every day. So that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. I think the opportunity of, if you look at 3D printing and what's happening in the 3D printing space, right now people can make anything in their home. Eventually those 3D printers are going to be so cheap that if you need a little screw for something in your house, you're just going to tell the 3D printer, I need this screw, make it right now, right? You're not even going to the store. Um, there are a lot of things that we will be able to make um, and distributed technology that will be able to enable us to grow and make food at a local level in more efficient ways than what we know today. Um, and for Future Fit Foods, one, our vision is really to enable those local uh, micro maker spaces uh, at the local level to demonstrate that there's another way to deliver convenience that is more local. We're not there yet, but that is our vision, is how can we work with local communities with under-resourced under chefs, um, or you know people who are amazing at cooking and have a real passion for food, and just provide them with some of the basics uh, where they can actually locally um, provide local convenient food that is then also potentially less dependent on single-use packaging and plastic-based packaging and some of the, the challenges of the um, kind of the, the convenience we know today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's possibly also raising the question of how do we reimagine convenience, right? Like, and that's, and it's because it's really having a very sort of an, uh, a, a sort of a cycle that is not very um, well-being centric because the the more convenient things are, the faster you move and the faster you move, the more convenience you need. And that leads to like a lot of, because you don't have the time, you're, it's everything, there's so much of packaging. Um, but also the idea of uh, consuming something while savoring it which is actually a big part of well-being, actually, as well, of being mindful. So whether you're consuming a superfood, 
which is to give you energy um, or calm you down or whether you're having a meal. This the, the question may be that we as a global community of just people, just the global human family has to also consider is um, how do we find a balance in the pace at which we live and therefore the pace at which we consume so that we have the time, the energy, the ability to savor all the wonderful things that are in front of us, right? Like, I mean, starting with the coffee in the morning, it's always to go now. And then the idea of having a cup of coffee uh, out on the uh, on the patio and, and <laughs> appreciating nature, we it's, it's just become a luxury nowadays. And um, that sort of relates back to this. Yeah, it's um it really comes down to appreciating what you've got in front of you, right? When something becomes very functional, you don't necessarily stop to look at it. You just use it and you move on. Um but when you have an emotional connection with someone or something, um or with your garden or you know with nature, you stop and you appreciate it and you give it time you give that person time you give that moment time because there is an emotion there's there is love behind that action this is what i was referring to when foods become so functional that we just take them for granted and we don't actually think about how amazing it is how amazing it is to have these foods in front of us i mean these days you you know we we can have foods from anywhere in the world, amazing foods. And it's it really comes down to that moment of, are we realizing what is the value of what's in front of us? Um, and this is why at Future Free Foods, we talk about creating more value than we destroy and really appreciating the value of what we've got. The big challenge we have with our food systems today is that we have um, built food systems on commodities um, there are some studies out there that show that about two thirds of all the calories in the world are coming from 12 ingredients, um, which, you know, most of them, I'm sure if you were to think about them, right. Um, and they have been highly subsidized, highly uh, promoted. Um, they're great ingredients. There's, you know, nothing necessarily wrong with them, but they're only 12 out of thousands that we should be promoting, <laughs> Um, you know, if we were to think about how to design the system today with what we know about biodiversity, what we know about the the nutrient density of so many foods that are not within those 12, we probably design those subsidies very different. We probably do things very differently. And so I think, you know, going back to this idea of appreciating what we have in our current food system, we have devalued our foods to such an extent that it's it's really hard to actually grow food um, in ways that distribute good amount of value to everyone involved. Uh, somebody's going to be cheated in the process. Sometimes it's the farmers and sometimes it's the consumers who actually eat a lot of calories with a very little um, nutritional content. <laughs> so uh, somebody's been cheated in that process because we're not accounting for externalities. 
Um, and it is very hard because we've created an expectation that everything that you eat needs to be certain cost and certain amount of it. We've promoted a food system that favors quantity over quality um, when quantity is not necessarily the most important, should not be the most important thing, right? It's really more about quality and that enjoyment that we were talking about, but also getting really good nutrition so you can be the best you can be in, as a human. Uh, food is chemistry in our body and the food that children eat when they're growing up is very important to their physical and mental development. Uh, it it's it's a difference between you know unleashing the best in you and maybe not unleashing it. Um, and so I don't think people really think through the value of food in such a deep way. Um, and I think you know there is a huge opportunity, obviously uh, within the school system, within our communities, within you know the parents of the world to you know help children think of food in different ways and prioritize food over other things in our lives. I have was reading some statistic of, and this probably will not come to any surprise to you or any of the listeners. In some countries, people spend up to 50% of their budgets in food. Here in the US, that would be un unthinkable. I mean, people is like, food? What do you mean? I'm not spending more than 10, 20% of my budget in food, right? And so, yeah, it maybe depends on what, you know, what your socioeconomic status is, where you are, um, what your disposable income, but it also has to do with the priorities in our lives, right? We're sometimes prioritizing gadgets and other things that are less important over food. Uh, and again, I go back to this idea of quality of food versus quantity. Um, so again, you know, I think there is an important cultural shift that is required in order for us to benefit from everything that a very healthy food system can provide to humans, including tapping on diversity of foods, um, where there is food for everyone. Because if we were to address the food waste problem we have in our society, in the Northern Hemisphere, 30 to 40% of our foods are wasted because we buy so much and things get spired in our fridge or in our cabinets or in the supermarket, or we just can't finish that massive plate that was served to us. If we were to avoid that waste, there would be food for everyone. We don't necessarily need to produce more. We need to waste less, waste more or waste less than what we're wasting. So there's more for everyone. So I, I do think that there's some narratives we've been hearing for many years that we need to produce more. We need to produce more actually maybe we need to consume differently and we need to waste less. Right, right. And that really actually, again, speaks to the sort of the local economy as well, right? I mean, um, how, do, how do food growing systems also um, come to a balance where there is enough retained? Because some of the poorest people in the world today are the people who grow uh, the food for, for us, right? And... Um, it really brings up this question of like how, and, and that's what I liked about what you said about giving more back to the system than what you're really taking away from it. And um, if we're to reimagine a, a food system that's that's really focused on quality and um, and a slower pace and, and savoring it, and but also being conscious of, of how much you're buying, um, which really has a ripple effect through the entire system. 
um, in, and then uh, ensuring that there is sort of a, a, a system of growing where there is um, surplus or where there is, even if it's not surplus, there, there is a share of that that goes into the local system itself for the people who are growing it, for the communities that it is grown in, and also for like the plants and animals that are also surviving on that same system. Um, and I think that's a very powerful sort of uh, thought that you're sharing, which is really kind of built into the core of your uh, way of working in your organization and how you're really thinking of the, the food system itself. Um, and, uh, how does, uh, and I, I'm really like, uh, one of the things that really stood out to me was, uh, this, the story of how you found a pod, uh, in the ocean and, uh, that made you really think, uh, about, you know, packaging and, and how things can be reimagined. And, and I'm, I'm bringing that up now because, uh, we're talking about like, really when you're slowing down to observe um that's also kind of inspiring that also gives way to new new pathways and um you know i was wondering whether you'd like to share that story yeah um i think just picking up on when you when you're trying to reimagine something into the future into your life and you're really thinking about you know things in a different way in different lenses you you've got to give yourself a space to be able to think more clearly and sometimes that means removing yourself completely from where you were uh placing yourself in new places in nature that has so much to inspire us and and so many lessons really we can learn from um, as I mentioned, that the trip in 2019, uh, as part of the transition into future fit foods, was really a way to really um, take the time to observe and and to learn from, you know, our connection with nature, what we can learn from nature, and our connection with food. And in countries where there is, we're seeing the transition towards packaged foods and towards more convenient foods, but they're not 100% there yet. So you're actually seeing where, you know, you, you actually go to markets where you see local produce and next to it, something packaged in plastic coming from somewhere else. And you, you're you seeing kind of the transition in some even stands that are already 100% all packaged products in a farmer's market. And you're like, mm, okay, that's interesting. And so I think, you know, just kind of going back to this idea of, um, you know, how you can find inspiration around us and how sometimes we need to look back to look forward. We need to learn from the past to go into the future. Um, the future should not necessarily negate all the past and all the things we've done well in the past. The future should be able to capture what we've done really well in the past in our food systems and take it forward. Um, progress is not about giving up everything we've done in the past and moving into a completely new world of AI-run <laughs> food systems. Um, there's actually a huge part of the future that needs to be about humanizing foods because foods are at the heart of who we are as humans and the joy we experience as humans and how we savor the world. If we take that away from us, what, what kind of pleasures are we living 
to enjoy on this earth. So I think, um, you know, I just want to bring that back because um, I think it's really important that we think about what progress means for all of us in our food systems. Progress is not more quantity and lower quality. That we've done a lot of that in the past few decades. We don't need any more of that. Progress is where we actually appreciate diversity. We appreciate the humanity of foods. We enhance the role of foods and we give people more, more people opportunities to access those great foods, right? Because there's a huge problem with access to healthy foods in our societies, especially in the Western world. Um, and we need to address that. And our current food system is not solving for that. Those are the people who are actually buying the least, the most empty calorie foods in gas stations or wherever they can access nearby them. They're not necessarily accessing the fresh foods we're talking about here. So I think at the core of this conversation of regeneration, right, and, and regenerative agriculture, but taking the concept of regeneration beyond agriculture, regenerative businesses, regenerative leadership, it's all about how we think about what progress means in our society moving forward. Yes, there's room for AI. Yes, we need technology, but technology needs to serve the people and, and create better livelihoods and more well-being for people. And so what are we doing to create those spaces, right? Um, this, this one story you mentioned about when we were um, in Thailand and we found this, they're, they're called fruit boxes. They're like pretty big seeds uh, that float on the oceans up to seven years sometimes. And until eventually they land somewhere and they lay their seeds. Um, but the, it's an amazing uh, resilience if you think about it. You know, it's just a seed coming from a tree that drops in the ocean and it's able to travel for several years until it finds the right place. The material is becomes eventually biodegradable because it's a natural fibers. Um, but it has to find its place. And nature has so many examples of understanding that everything that goes out into the world comes back, you know, as output comes as input. Um, and so when we talk about circularity for future fit foods and kind of the future of food, it's about thinking also about how everything, every single thing we use, whether it's materials, water needs to find a way to come back into the system. How we create a wasteless society that is conscious and aware that we live in a world of finite resources. We do not have infinite resources in this world. They're very finite. And as we invite more people into this world, they become even more and more constrained. Uh, on top of that, we've got the challenge of the climate crisis, um, the soil depletion crisis. I mean, some scientists say we have 50, 60 harvests left. And so it is, I think, upon us in the food industry to really think through not just creating more products, but creating new business models that really take this idea of regeneration one click up into regenerative businesses, regenerative leadership. And what does that look like? Um, I'm on the board of an organization called the Guild of Future Architects. And we are experimenting with this concept of regenerative leadership. And what does that look like? How do we dismantle some of the power structures 
Um, you know, in the case of the experiments we're working on, they're not specific to food. But if you look at our food systems today, they are very, um, there are long, you know, there are power structures that have been in place for a long time that dictate the way our food system is today and dictate who actually gets what foods uh, and what foods get promoted and what foods don't get promoted. This is this is what I think we need to think about when we think about regenerative businesses is how do we actually create food systems that are truly um, humanizing, truly equitable in the sense that people have access to healthy foods regardless of where they come from, that benefit people in communities, uh, that bring joy to our lives, and that ultimately create a wasteless society as well, because we are moving into state in our history where we have to really think about living in a world of finite resources yeah 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 there's so many threads to <laughs> sort of like delve deeper into but uh before that um uh you are tuned in to the regenerative risings podcast elevating stories activating change i am your host nisha mary paulos executive director of regenerative rising and with me today is paloma lopez ceo and co-founder of future fit foods um yeah i want to just like there's there's so much to unpack there and you know, it was interesting yesterday, I was thinking a bit about regeneration, you know, in, in its truest sense. And, um, and I, you know, I'm uh, seeing this, this fast path of the word going into buzzword status with so many like interpretations and um, so many sort of uh, specific sort of ideas um, attached to regeneration. And I was I was really sort of thinking, like, what does it really mean to be regenerative in terms of um, sort of if we were to have a common value of that? Because at the end of the day, it's a word and the word can become like anything, but it's more the concept and the spirit of it that we really want to embody. And um, like, I like the way you're talking about giving more than what you're taking, like, and, and that's the way nature works. Like w w whenever something is taken in in some way or another way, it's always give it goes back into the system. And and as it goes back, it touches and nourishes and sort of uh, creates life in every step of the way. And um, so, like I was thinking, like when when we're talking regeneration in whichever context, whether it's growing food, whether it's economies, whether it's um, sort of uh, building habitat for ourselves. Um, the, the, the question that uh, I always sort of hold on to is like, how does whatever we're doing today um, fit into the larger system? How does it sort of nourish the larger system at an ecosystemic level or a regional level? Like whether it's small, small sort of interventions, whether it's your own garden, whether it's of a large whatever acres of field, whether you're going something, whether you're building a house or whether you're just having a, co a conversation with somebody because we're also part of nature as human beings. The, and I was thinking of that, that how do we bring that spirit of like always thinking, how does this fit into this ecosystem at a regional level, which includes human beings and communities and um and that was like, I just feel the need to talk about it because 
some of the more recent sort of things I've been reading and um, like seeing on various platforms just are a little alarming because it seems to be kind of causing a sort of a polarization of what is being regenerative, right? And then the word itself is overtaking the spirit or the meanings behind that way of life. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think you're bringing up a really important point right now. And it's, you know, we talk about regeneration in a very abstract way, but regeneration should be something very personal and something very tangible. Um, And there are many ways in which we can put it into practice. Um, That being said, I think our sphere of influence and our agency to drive change, it's much greater when we play within our communities. Um, A lot of the challenges and a lot of the opportunities that we're facing, whether it's in our food systems or in our communities, need to be dealt with in that smaller context first. Um, And so I think, you know, we, each one of us has more agency uh, than we believe we have. Um, We can drive change uh, in so many different ways and we can influence many people. We can influence what we eat, what our families eat. We can influence what, uh, what conversations we have with our neighbors and, um, and we can, you know, start um, trends around, urban gardens and things that we have seen, right? Uh, so I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to implement regenerative practices in their lives. Um, again, you know, understanding that regenerative uh, living is goes beyond one specific thing. It's not just only about how you grow foods. It's also about how you treat people. It's about how you treat yourself. It's about how you think about um you know, how you give back, just like nature does, right? Moving away from an extractive mindset into a regenerative mindset, right? Extractive mindset is what we have done so well as humans has been extracting from the earth, extracting from our communities, um, you know, in regenerative is really about giving more back. And so we can actually get you know, our communities, our, you know, natural ecosystems, not just back to where they were, but actually flourishing, thriving. (laughs) Um, And so it's a mindset of spending energy and spending time in our lives to actually give back. Uh, Our businesses and regenerative businesses need to be thinking about how they give back. They need to be thinking about how they create value beyond profits, Um, how businesses create human value, um, environmental value. And and even though we're challenged with how we capture that value in ways that people understand, uh, I think that is what we need to be talking about more now, which is that we don't actually exist in this planet just to make profit. (laughs) We are in this planet to um to to celebrate this incredible life we're part of um to to live joyful moments to support other people to live a good life and that is uh, much bigger than just making profits i think you know we need to think through that um and again i i think you know back to your question that we all have the ability to we all have agency to do this in our lives but 
it's not just about buying regenerative organic products. It's about our mindset. It's about how we live our lives in ways which we're not extracting. We're very conscious that we're giving back. And if we are have been, if we are coming from a place of privilege, we have to give even more back. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. That's just really um sort of there's so much depth in that that it's not it's not enough to make choices on the things we buy but it's also on how we take care of ourselves and whatever is in our care including our time um and uh, i was also thinking you know time is what which is also the reason possibly because we look at time in years if not months um in efficient systems it's months but like Otherwise, it's just years and we're expecting to see things in just years. But the earth is like been living for, <laughs> it's thinking in terms of thousands of years. There are like, there are trees that are living for thousands of years. There are, you know, sort of systems that are, that take thousands of years to come to one cycle even. And um, that's a very sort of, uh, when you're thinking of like, what do we leave behind? Because that's, and that's so important because it's not we're living, I don't know, 50 to 90 years, depending on where you are. And, you know, that's the lifespan that we're talking about. But the but lifespan of just some of the trees on the earth or systems like fungal systems, they're just it's not even comparable to this timeline that we're we're thinking, which then then when you put yourself in that perspective of that timeline, maybe then this extraction doesn't really make as much sense. Yeah, but if you think about also all those systems, all those natural systems that you're talking about, um, the role of the individual is, is it's very small. I mean, most of these incredible systems are created through community connections, through collaboration. Um, you know, truly true progress in nature happens through collaboration. <laughs> um, you know, it's enabling a forest comes with, you know, so many different organisms coming together to support each other to create that ecosystem. You know, as, as we think about where we are in history right now, more than ever, we need to be thinking about, you know, how we collaborate to create progress that is at the heart of it is good for the well-being of people and the planet because without the planet we've got no home and that's that's why it's so important right for us i mean it, when we talk about climate crisis this is not just about you know trying to solve uh, or save the planet we're trying to save ourselves you know the planet is going to be fine without us the planet was thriving during covid when we were emitting less carbon emissions and we slowed down our production and people were, you know, uh, less <laughs> creating less impact. And so I, th I think, you know, there is, that's evidence that the, the planet will thrive without us. We are the ones who are dependent on the planet. We're the ones who need to take care of our soil because if we only have 50 to 60 harvests left, what are we leaving for those people who are coming after that, those communities of people? And so I think that's where we need to put on kind of our our community, our humanity um, hats on and think about, you know, what is progress? What is progress? 
you know, is progress actually living more joyful lives, more healthier lives where everybody thrives? Or is progress just about, you know, more technology, more, you know, more production, more quantity of everything, uh, more destruction, more extraction? Yeah, that's, uh, I feel like that those are some really profound questions. And, um, you know, we're almost coming to the end of our time. And I, I just love that it arrived at this point. There's like beautiful questions to think of. Um, how do we function as a community and go beyond the individual? How do we think of what is it that every time we take a step forward, what it, what is left behind, right? To be conscious of that, like in in everything we do. And those are just absolutely powerful things to sort of dwell on and and like you earlier mentioned as well it's a very personal sort of journey of regeneration that we have to undertake which is the role of the individual but also the role of the community which is then set within a larger group of communities which is finally reaching a global level right and that's really sort of learning and collaborating with nature um, and before we sort of um, wind up, I want to ask you, you know, uh, what what's exciting in your world right now? Is there anything you would want to share about what's going on for you or for Future Fit Foods? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, these are very exciting times for us. We, um, I mentioned we had um, many learnings from our last uh, soup product line. Um and including all the things that we were trying to do in a way that we thought was the right way, but we realized that we had created overly complex um, recipes and there was an opportunity to simplify without compromising and yet bring uh, delicious products to people um, with, with a lot of the principles and values we just talked about. So we actually are going to be launching a line of plant-based um, snacks that are using regenerative organic agriculture, which I believe is at the core of one of the things that we need to truly promote and support in, in coming years is our transition to agriculture that is kind to the soil um, and that creates those circular uh, processes uh, where you know, essentially we're creating farms that will be uh, super, super healthy for future generations, uh, but also where there is uh, sufficient evidence already that uh, that that nutrients, the nutrients in the soil and that healthier soil also translates into healthier foods. So how do we actually move into providing people with healthier foods uh, that nourish their bodies and their minds. So that's what we are going to be launching uh, actually um, in between May and June. So it's coming up uh, as part of this spring for us. And this is our, our new kind of step into regeneration, regenerating within future fit foods and bringing foods that are, uh, we think, um, well, will be more accessible for people. Um, there are plant-based snacks. Um, there are just beautiful ingredients uh, that we think will be very welcome. Um, but again, you know, we're still, still, even where we are with Future Fit Foods, still thinking about what is next. How do we implement some of these ideas of local food systems and kind of chewing through how we're going to go about 
experimenting and doing things differently. So we don't have all the solutions yet. We we do have a vision, um, but we're excited to be taking steps towards that direction and creating foods that really put at the center of all design and decision-making the well-being of people on the planet. So, you know, for anyone who's curious and interested, um, meet me, we will have uh, products and information on our Future Fit Foods website. Uh, we will be launching first locally in Colorado and then in our the front range here where we are. And then we'll make those options available to people in other parts of the U.S. Um, but that being said, you know, again, you know, our ideas eventually is creating a model that then we can replicate in different parts of the U.S. Uh, with culturally relevant foods. So that is kind of our ambition into the future. That is so exciting. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. That is definitely something to look forward to. Um, and it's just really heartening to hear all your your wisdom that is so informed by your very global experiences from different sort of grassroots realities um, from your own childhood and how, how that continues to inform the way the product is developed and the, the idea of agility and adapting to, you know, and keeping on discovering and, you know, as you described what it means to, to progress is, uh, is really exciting to hear. Um, and thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Paloma. This has been a very enjoyable conversation. Um, there's so much wisdom in your words and um, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share our Future Fit Food story and uh, both the struggles and the exciting aspects of, of um, really reimagining our food systems. This is Regenerative Rising's podcast, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. I am your host, Nisha Mary Paulos, Executive Director of Regenerative Rising. And with me today is Paloma Lopez, CEO and co-founder of Future Fit Foods.